Well, hello again, or for the first time, good afternoon. Uh, before I begin, I just need to say what a lovely congregation this is. I said yesterday that this has always been something of a, uh, a mecca for me personally and theologically. So this has been a, a pilgrimage. I've never been to Birmingham. I've never been to the Advent, but I've gotten to spend time with quite a few of you at lunch yesterday. Last night I had dinner with a couple uh, small groups, young adults, and I spoke to the women's group this morning. And um, you are just blessed with such uh, an amazing um, clergy, obviously, staff. But, but you know, you guys are the congregation. And I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be in a place where um, the clergy are supported and loved and encouraged. And, you know, it makes, it makes the work we do very pleasurable. So thank you for being awesome. And now, and now I've got you on my side, so I can say whatever I want. Um, so today... I want to uh, talk about my most acute personal failure um, and what God taught me through it. Uh, lucky you. I'm sure you can't wait. And there's a little bit of a danger in this kind of talk because I really don't want to be the silver lining kind of guy. You know, I remember when I was at uh, Trinity with Deb, I had a good friend who had some... Um, intestinal problems. She had an infection and she had to go get surgery. And in the midst of the surgery, she found out that she was pregnant. And of course, she lost the baby. And it was really hard. She was, uh, she'd been very sick and she lost the baby. And um, Paul Zoll, the wonderful Paul Zoll, who was dean, then saw her on campus and said to her, um, I want to give you the freedom to learn absolutely nothing through this. This doesn't have to be about anything. And I thought that was the perfect thing to say because sometimes as Christians, when we're in the midst of something hard, we make it harder by trying to figure out why it's happening. You know, what do I have to learn? What do I have to do? How, how can I get myself out of this hard situation as quickly as possible? And so I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try. And I'm also wary of, as they say, you know, bleeding in the pulpit. I don't want to be too personal. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. But I also remember uh, what Robin Roberts once said, you know, she's on Good Morning America, but this was actually a fairly wise thing. Uh, she said, your mess is your message. Your mess is your message. And of course, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talked about, um, he said, you know, we, we have this uh, treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And he talked very candidly about his own uh, personal failures. In many ways, Paul was the first uh, the first person in history to write an autobiography in the modern sense of that word. He told the truth about his inner life in, in sometimes, you know, uh, uh, very personal and sometimes uncomfortable ways. And I was talking yesterday with uh, Stephen McCarthy, your curate, who, by the way, I never met him before. He is incredible. If you haven't met Stephen, get to know Stephen. And he was saying, you know, that so often he thinks that we, we hold our suffering, we hold our failures with clenched fists, when in fact, our failures, our sufferings may be the greatest gift that we have to offer other people. And there was an article on the Mockingbird blog uh, a few days ago, which some of you may be familiar with, other, others you may not, uh, ember.com. I encourage you to check it out. Um, but David Zoll, one of Paul's sons, talked about uh, some articles recently in various secular publications where people were talking about AA envy. You know, they were envious that addicts, uh, people in Alcoholics Anonymous, had somewhere to go to tell the truth had somewhere to go to talk about their problems in a, in a safe and non-judgmental and open environment. And there's something to that, that people are longing for a place to tell the truth. So 
Today, I'm going to attempt to unclench my fist a little bit or to channel the Houstonian uh, Brene Brown. Is she known here at all, Brene Brown? She talks about vulnerability. Um, she gave the most watched uh, TED Talk in history, uh, but she talks a lot about being vulnerable, about the, the sort of the power of being vulnerable. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about how my life fell apart. Before I do that, Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 18. Here's what Paul says. Uh, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, about seven years ago, um, I was finishing up at Trinity, finishing up my seminary education, and all my dreams were coming true. That's actually true. Um, I had been uh, to dinner one night with my wife and kind of spring of my final year, and she had turned to me and she said, RJ, if, if you could do anything you want, what would it be? And I said, I'd want to go back to New York City because I just, uh, before seminary, I'd been in New York for five years and I'd, I'd been there in middle school and, and uh, my kids had been born there and I'd had a very fruitful time of ministry. Um, and I loved New York. It was kind of home. I said, I want to go back to New York and I would want to plant a church. And so, uh, famous last words. Uh, and so I got on the Redeemer uh, website. Some of you may know Tim Keller. They have a wonderful church planting program. Uh, I applied for a fellowship. I got it. Um, I hooked up with uh, an Anglican uh, body because the, the, the diocese I was going to get ordained with through the Episcopal Church was leaving the Episcopal Church, so I was a little bit in limbo. So I hooked up with an Anglican body. I'm now Episcopalian. Don't worry. Uh, and they wanted to plant. Uh, we got our kids into some amazing schools way after the application deadlines, and those went on to be incredible communities for us and for them. Uh, by God's grace, was able to raise uh, quite a bit of money. I found out that two of my three brothers were moving back to the city that summer. Uh, one of my best friends was living in the city and wanted to partner with me in this endeavor. We found an apartment. Everything came together. And so uh, in the fall of 2008, uh, we started to have some brunches in our apartment. Pretty soon we had about 30 or 40 people together for a Sunday afternoon brunch, and it was really fun. 
And then uh, we launched in fall 2009, and, and we had a great first year. By the end of that first year, we had a congregation of about 100 people, regular attendance of about 70 or 80. Things were good. And then they started to go not so good. Uh, my best friend uh, moved out of the city, and, and I, I suddenly found myself um, feeling rather alone. I'm the only full-time employee of a church plant in New York City. Um, the financial crisis hit. Some of you may remember that. Uh, money was tight, and we had sort of a three-year plan for self-sustainability, which it, it, we weren't making much headway. Um, there was also a bit of a message conflict that uh, New York City, as you can imagine, is, is filled with a lot of young people who were the best, brightest, most intelligent, most driven people from wherever they came. And if they're Christians, they, they tend to bring that attitude to their Christianity. And so they, they love to talk about um, transforming the city, building the kingdom, partnering with God. And I sort of wanted to talk about like sin and hopelessness and forgiveness, and that wasn't always terribly attractive to the, the audience I was seeking um, to reach. Uh, and then also there was just some, honestly, some incompetence on my leadership team that ended up costing us quite a bit of money. And so about three years ago, uh, we had an all-church dinner, kind of a come-to-Jesus moment, uh, where I said, here's how much money we have, here's our monthly burn, here's where we're headed, and I was hoping for a big outpouring of of generosity and, and goodwill, and it just didn't come. And it became clear that this, this might not work out because we couldn't pay our bills. And there was a moment, uh, this is sort of the, as the, the low point, uh, we were on the Hutchinson River Parkway, me and my wife and our two sons, and we were going out to Connecticut to drop the kids off at my mom's uh, because we were going down to Houston, Houston of all places, to interview for a job. And we, I will say now we love Houston, but at that point, Houston was not a place we dreamt of living. Uh, and and uh, we're on the highway and we're running out of gas. And I suddenly realized that there's no money in my checking account. Both my credit cards are maxed out. And I'm not quite sure we're going to make it. And then I remember that the day before, maybe two days before, I'd got, I had a big Ziploc bag of change in my dresser that I'd taken to the bank to sort of cash in. And I had my oldest son come help me, and I'd sort of given him 10 bucks, you know, to help me out. And so I, I sort of, hey, Jackson, um, do you happen to have that $10 bill I gave you the other day? <laughs> And my wife just turned to me and she was like, you know, she didn't say anything, but her face said, really? Like, this is, this is, uh, this is where we're at. Yes, that is where we were at. It was, uh, it was pretty bad. So we took that job in Houston. And, when we, and we were worried about telling our kids because they loved New York and they had great friends and great schools and we had envisioned being there forever. And so we tried to put as positive a spin on it as we possibly could, you know, a grand new adventure and, and one of daddy's best friends is there and it's the biggest Episcopal church in the country and it's the, you know, the president's church and they could have cared less. Uh, they cried and cried and cried for about two days and it was worse than we ever could have imagined. And that's not the end. But before I go on, how did we get through that? Well, not very well. We had some sleepless nights. There was uh, some conflict in our household. There were some tears shed. But right in the middle of it, I think there were three truths that God somehow stuck in my mind. And they helped me through it. And they come directly from this passage that I read to you in Paul's letter to the Romans. The first truth was that God was with me and he loved me and he was on my side. What does Paul say? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Number two, every, and this, was, this is hard, but everything that was happening somehow, even if I couldn't understand it, even if I couldn't see my way through it, was a product of his love for me. And someday, as we just sang, you know, uh, as I was enduring the wrecks of time and the woes of life, someday it was going to be over. And I and my whole family were going to be with God in heaven in a place where there would be no more stress and no more tears and no more bills to pay and no more moving. And that was going to be really great. God also blessed me with reminders of his presence, unexpected gifts that came in the mail that allowed me to pay my rent. Uh, my landlord let us out of our lease, you know, a year early. We had a two-year lease a year early with no re repercussions, which was a total shock. And most powerfully, I remember having breakfast with my wife at a place called Friend of a Farmer right off Irving Place, uh, on Irving Place. It's a great place. And um, things were falling apart, and this song came on the radio by a guy I'd never, I'd never heard this song, and I'd never heard of this artist uh, named Pete Drogue. And here were the lyrics as I'm sitting there with my wife. Going whichever way the wind blows. You were caught in your world, I was lost in mine. Going whichever way the wind blows, let it go, it will get easier. Let it go, just enjoy the ride. Going whichever way the wind blows. And that was a reminder of the Spirit's presence with me. It was almost like God was praying a prayer that I couldn't pray in the way that Paul talked about. Um... And of course, it reminded me of John chapter three, where Jesus says, uh, "The wind blows. Uh, you know, uh, the wind blows wherever it chooses. No one, you know, where it comes from and where it's going, nobody knows. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit." And there was something in that moment that I, I was able to release my life into God's hands a little bit more. And so, to end that story, we ended up in Houston, and on about our fourth night there, my wife turned to me and she said, "Thank God, we are here." And that has been our experience in the last uh, three years. We are so happy and so blessed. And that is really where we're called. It is not where we have chosen to go, but oftentimes God moves us in directions that uh, we don't want to go, but he knows what he's doing. Okay, I've got about four more minutes. What did I learn through all this? Well, again, this is the dangerous part because you may be in the midst of something very difficult and I want to give you the freedom to not learn anything, at least not right now. Maybe you will later, but if you're just hurting right now, I want to give you the freedom to just hurt, but this is my story. And so I'm going to stick as closely to Romans 8 as possible as I talk about what I learned. Specifically, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. The first thing I learned, things fall apart. I said this yesterday, life is hard, things fall apart. How can I say that? Well, what does Paul say? The creation was subjected to futility. That's a direct quote. The creation was subjected to futility. Number two, things fall apart by design. How can I say that? Well, what does Paul say? The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In other words, it is by God's will that things fall apart. That's hard, but that's what Romans says. Number three, things fall apart because God loves us and wants to set us free. And I'll read these full two verses. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay 
and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think of that scene in The Lord of the Rings. Anyone here seen The Lord of the Rings? Fellowship of the Ring? Where Frodo is holding on to the ring and Gandalf comes and he wants to take it away and it's, his, and it's Frodo's most precious thing. And Gandalf says, I'm not here to rob you. I'm here to help you. And I think the reason, I think what Paul is saying is that the reason things fall apart is that so we will cease to put our hope in things temporal and put them in things eternal. That we will stop looking down and around for all the things we want and we will look up and we will look out. Because we want the right things. We want freedom and hope and joy and peace and security. But we go about it the wrong way. We think we're going to get those things through control. We think we're going to get those things through working. If I can have enough money, if I can have the right job and the right house and the right spouse, and then I will be happy and hopeful and peaceful and joyful. And it never, ever works. It's never enough. The only way we're going to find the things we want is not by attaining control, but by releasing it. Not by doing, but by trusting. Not by works, but by faith. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I think that's somewhere in the Bible. Not by works, but by faith. And by recognizing that everything we need, we already have. And it's given to us as a free gift. That Jesus is standing saying, come, even today, right now, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's the freedom that Paul talks about. The freedom that comes uh, from knowing that we are loved by God, that he is on our side, that he is working all things together for our good, as Paul says in Romans 8. And the hard truth is that we often can't see that until we fail. But in the midst of failure, and maybe you've experienced this too, when God comes, when he shows he's with you in the hard times, when he gets you through it, when he gets you to the other side, suddenly you say, maybe I can actually trust this God and I can find the freedom that I want so badly. It's 1230. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words of Paul. Thank you for his failure and the hope that he found in it. Thank you, Lord, that uh, when he cried out to you about his thorn in the flesh, uh, three times you said, my grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness my power is made perfect. And I pray for those among us that are in trouble, that are failing, that are suffering, that they would know your presence and they would know uh, the freedom that comes with uh, turning things over to you. I pray that for myself. Um, Please remind us uh, that if you are for us, then no one can be against us. Pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.